Welcome to Counterculture Parents. I'm Kurt Brunner, your host, and thanks for listening. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about character formation in our children. And to do that, we're going to be listening to excerpts from a presentation my wife Olivia and I gave uh, in the context of a family camp. And we were talking about the fact that our children are made in the image of God to reflect his character in the choices we make that would move us uphill towards our potential. And yet the fact that we have this propensity as if we were a bowling ball on a hill. And as parents, we don't have to do anything to teach our children to roll downhill against what they were made for. They will of their own propensity. They will of their own fallen nature move that direction. So how do we as parents help our children move uphill? And it starts with understanding the very nature of our children, that they are fallen beings. And so we use the framework of the seven deadly sins to help us understand these broad categories of vice that we get trapped in and the opposite virtues that can help us be released and freed from them. Now, I warn you in advance, we move very quickly through those seven deadly sins, but I think it'll be a helpful big picture framework within which you can coach your child and encourage your child and nurture in your child those virtues that are necessary to free them from the downward spiral, the downward propensity of a fallen sinful nature. By the way, in the notes section of today's episode, you'll find a PDF download that may be helpful as you follow along. So once again, this is my wife, Olivia, and me talking to a group of parents at a family camp about virtue versus vice. And these are what are called the seven deadly sins. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the seven deadly sins? We don't use that vocabulary a lot, but it's absolutely essential for understanding the nature of character and virtue formation. And historically, it's been understood that way. So, seven deadly sins. First one, obviously, starts with a P, is pride up on the screen. The definition is the lack of humility befitting a creature of God. We are all prone towards pride. And yet, what is spiritual formation? What is character and virtue formation? What are we called to? What is it to be like God? Well... God became flesh, didn't he? His name is Jesus Christ. And Satan said, you will be like God. But what he meant by you will be like God is very different than what God is actually like. Who is the most humble being in the universe? Well, Christ said it, didn't he? He said, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly, humble of heart, another translation says, and you will find rest for your souls. What is he saying? Why does it say that God resists the proud? Is it because God doesn't want any competitors? No, it's because God himself is the most humble being in the universe. And to be like God means to foster the virtue of humility. And so we have spiritual disciplines that help us adopt and develop the virtue of humility. And in the process, free ourselves from that downward propensity towards pride, which is anything but like God. So it's this same concept that plays out in each of the vices or deadly sins and it has an opposite and corresponding virtue. What's an indicator that all of our children have the issue of pride? What are some indicators that you would see in your kids that you know they're prideful? If you happen to have one that if has If you have that. one that has the pride issue. <laughs> don't want to be first. Selfish. What? Don't want to be first. Yeah, it's about me, right? Yeah, me, my whole my. world should would revolve around me. Okay, good. So we just want to give you a few indicators just to make sure you don't walk out of here thinking, well, my child doesn't deal with that seven deadly sins. I don't think they were thinking they're that. All yeah. They're all in there. Okay, so greed. Deadly sin of greed. Um, now, by the way, deadly sin, what does that mean? Does it mean you commit that sin and you die? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about like a disease that gradually drains life out of you. And in this case, the deadly sins, which are categories, the broad propensities of human uh, fallenness, they're categories that gradually drain our very humanity out of us, of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so greed is one of those things. Too great a desire for 
money or worldly goods. We have a brother-in-law, actually Olivia's brother, who I remember six years ago or so, him being at rock bottom, he had had a gambling addiction for a very, very long time. And I remember him having to come to a point where he had to hand to this day, has to have me control all of his money, his paycheck, he can't take it, it has to come to me and I dole out his money for a living. He's a 50-year-old man that is so dehumanizing and takes away his dignity. Why? Because of a gambling addiction, this deadly sin of greed that overtook his life. And so what's the discipline, spiritual discipline, that frees us from the deadly sin of greed? Starts with a G. Generosity. Generosity. That's right. Okay, so what about greed? What are some indicators with your kids? Mine. Mine, mine, mine. Can I have this? Can I buy this? I want all the best things. And what's the opposite is to teach them to give to teach them to give away and they don't have to have all of the best of everything and to keep all of that in balance. Um, and it's, it's a daily thing because you think that got, you got the greed thing taken care of and then all of a sudden the little green-eyed monster you know, comes and takes over again and they, they want it again. A great fatherly act of spiritual formation in your children is saying, can I have your cookie? So that they... Yeah. Deadly sin starts with A. What's the next one? Anger. anger. Yeah, That's good. right. Deadly sin of anger. Definition. Unworthy irritation and lack... Of self-control, um, the opposite and corresponding virtue uh, that comes from Christ's instruction. When he here he was at the point he had every right to be most anger and angry, and what did he say? Father, forgive them. But it's that spirit of mildness. Historically, uh, traditionally, classically, it's been called mildness, which is another word for self-control. Uh, but mildness is the kind of theological term. So mildness uh, offsets. Uh, anger and it's a discipline uh, I think some of us you know our kid just has more of a temper and some of us have more of a temper than others uh, and we talk about things like anger management but can we name one other sin that we're encouraged to manage no we're encouraged to what repent and turn from and acknowledge and confess so as Christians we need to foster those things in our lives and in our and children. I think about that verse where it says fathers don't exasperate your children to, to anger and I think that's part of it um, when our children are angry if we're angry does that make it better no it makes it worse you just got just got a bunch of anger running around and so we've got to be the adults and say we're not gonna do the anger thing and we're gonna get them through it and then teach them instruct them how to repent from that anger so it's a lot more work than it is to just yell back yell back is, is easy when do you get the most angry when your child expresses anger, right? So we're both on that same slope moving downhill, and it's very difficult. Right. So everyone knows the indicators of, of anger. It's just temper, right? And, I mean, your two-year-old in the grocery store, you know, or whatever it is, starting from then all the way up to your 16-year-old, you know, looking you in the face and saying something you never thought you'd hear one of your kids say to you because they were angry. So. Uh, next one. Start with the G. What, what is it? Sorry, <laughs> we're having a conversation. We're arguing here. You know, yeah. don't, make, don't make me angry. <laughs> I was just wondering. All right, I'll give it to you. Gluttony. That's Gluttony. the next next deadly sin. Uh, the habit of consuming too much food, drink, drugs, etc. Anything that is a substance that's a gift from God for our good that we uh, allow to consume us or to become consumed with. And uh, we are in a generation that is defined largely by gluttony. And you see all the reports. It's dominating. The, the childhood obesity rate right now is depressing when you hear the statistics of where that's going. Some of that has to do with our food systems and so forth, but a lot of it has to do with parents not understanding. We have a propensity towards consuming more than we need. And so we need to follow the discipline of Christ, the hard discipline, such as he was led by the Spirit into the desert, and for 40 days he ate nothing during those days. Now, I'm not encouraging you to put your child in a 40-day fast, <laughs> but there is a place for a lost spiritual discipline in the Christian community of fasting and of consuming and taking in intentionally less than what we feel we want or need. And in a wealthy society, that's absolutely vital. 
uh, one, uh, it's actually Richard Foster who put it this way about fasting. He said, the stomach is like a spoiled child. The last thing it needs is more indulgence. And yet that's what we do, is we stay in this perpetual cycle of gluttony in so many ways. And gluttony, I won't go into, has a lot of categories, including things like, I only want a little bit of just the right thing. You know, a, a sense of being very picky, or on and on it goes. So gluttony has a lot of categories. And, you, and gluttony can also apply to other aspects. I mean, you look at the gluttony of media, right? The over, you know, all of the gluttony. Electronic, electronic uh, gluttony. So I mean, there's gluttony that we have a propensity to want a very healthy thing. Media can be a very healthy thing. We want more than we need. So temperance, intentionally taking in less than what we feel we need for a season. Next okay. one, S, sloth. Interesting. Sloth is a very interesting one. Faint-heartedness in matters of difficulty, and it also is defined as hatred of all spiritual things which entail effort. We want an easy life. We want an easy faith, and, and, and sloth is the downhill propensity. Now, very important to understand, historically, classically, sloth was very, very closely associated with the word depression. Okay? And we live in a society where we are more and more a depressed culture. Well, why is that? Sloth is really not about laziness. Laziness is the fallout of sloth. Sloth is really about apathy. It's a sense of whatever which defines the young generation in our day and age. Whatever, doesn't matter. And losing that sense that we have a purpose, we become apathetic. Apathy leads to depression and or laziness, and it comes into a cycle. So how does this show up with your kids with sloth? You guys, this is an easy one. I mean, they're lazy, right? They don't want their, or they don't care. They don't want to get a good grade, or they don't want to pick up their room. They're just, and the the thing is, as parents, we're constantly having to give them a purpose for which to live in, and their purpose is to fulfill what God would have for them, and that includes work, diligence, and just the joy that comes from work. And they're not going to wake up in the morning and be excited about doing work, you know? That just doesn't happen. But um, but you, when you say, you know, even if you're not excited about it, we're going to do it, and then when it's all done, they feel good because they worked. You know, so it's that, but it's that constant battle because the next week they're not going to go, oh, I remember how good I felt last week. Today I'm going to get up and say, Mom, can I do this for you? you no, know, it's going to take years. My oldest son just went on a trip to Colorado recently and he spent like a week just playing with his friends the whole time. And he came home and it was happening to me on a Saturday. So that's our work day as a family. And we worked all day and he mowed the lawn, did all this work for Kurt. And I'll never forget, he said, Mom, it feels good to work again because he had just done nothing for a whole week, you know, and that was almost a good thing for him to see. Ugh. There's just not, that's not such, I wouldn't want to do that for a long period of time. So anyway, this was an issue. The whole media world that our kids are filled with, um, the video gaming, the gaming on the computer, that's all sloth. That can be sloth and gluttony at the same time where kids are becoming apathetic because they're throwing themselves into a virtual world that's not a real world and yet it feels like a real world. And that that has an effect on their even identity and sense of, of humanity, being fully alive. Uh, By the way, real quickly, I'm very concerned about the video gaming and social media thing for this reason. To be human, as he made us, is to be an embodied spirit, flesh and spirit together. What's been happening is we're seeing a disembodied existence overtaking our young people's lives that, that used to be it was all about the body, right? Now it's all about this disembodied existence, which is dehumanizing. Because we're made, body and spirit together, real world relationships. So the word, by the way, is diligence. If you're looking to fill it in, it's diligence that frees us. It's just an area that parents didn't used to have to worry about. One more thing, you know, now that we got to, that we're working against, you know, but that's, that's okay. That's our job. Uh, E, what's the next deadly sin? Envy. Envy. That's right. 
Now this one's interesting. Unlike greed, which is wanting more and more and more, envy is jealousy of some other person's happiness. And don't we all struggle with this one? And what happens is we lose uh, the discipline of contentment, which is the opposite and corresponding virtue. Um, and Christ said it this way, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's when we desire that which God has for us uphill uh, that we're actually filled. But contentment is the discipline. And by the way, it's nearly impossible to be envious and unhappy and to be truly grateful at the same moment. So we're given the gift of gratitude. And so teaching our children the discipline of being grateful is actually part of their character formation. And as you teach them being grateful, as they see other children get something, teaching them to be happy for that child. Well, it's great that they have that, but we this is not something that we can afford at this time, but it's great that they have that. How neat. Maybe you can share that with them sometime. So teaching them, but look what we do have. And that's a constant, isn't it? Because that's always in front of your kids. If they play sports, so-and-so got the better shoes or the better this or the better that. And so there's a purpose that, again, the purpose that they're made for that you're driving them to. And um, this, this is just one more area. So. Uh, obviously, lust is the last of the deadly sins, un impure or unworthy desire for something evil. Of course, it's most pronounced in our generation in the whole world of our sexuality and undermining, again, our very humanity sexually and what we were made to be, man, woman, the beauty of the two coming together in intimate union, which itself is a picture of the gospel. Christopher West said it this way, if you want to know what's most sacred in the world, look for what's most violently profane. And this is most violently profane. Why? The scriptures tell us that the intimate physical union between man and woman is actually a picture of God himself and God's relationship to the church. Satan does not want that to be a wholesome, pure, wonderful thing. He wants it to be dehumanized, and that's what's happening. So the discipline uh, is obviously chastity. Uh, and there's great hope in this. You remember what Christ said to the woman who was severely addicted sexually. She was a prostitute. She had gone so far down this path. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. You can find freedom. Men addicted to pornography, women who've, who've been shamed through, their, uh, through abusive situations sexually can have the hope of go and sin no more. But it's going to be an uphill battle that's very intense. Let me just say this. That slope, that downward slope, becomes steeper and steeper and steeper to where eventually it becomes a free fall. And I do believe we are given freedom in each of these areas, but the further we roll downhill, the steeper it becomes, and eventually you're no longer making choices, and our children are no longer making their own choices. The volition of all the prior choices overtake them, and this is where addictions come to, to, to be. We lost Olivia's brother last year to suicide from a lifelong battle with alcoholism so forth. There came a point where we knew he's no longer making choices. He's been his character has been so dehumanized that he no longer can turn around and head the other direction uh, and, and, and did not. And so with our children, one of the things when I counsel parents with children who are struggling with some of these issues is, is you need to draw this graphic for them and explain to them, I'm never going to let you get to the point where you're falling free fall as long as you live in my household. So yes, I will take away the video games, or yes, I will not allow access to the pornography online, etc., etc. We have a role to play as parents. And of course, all this is much easier when you start at a young age and it's done in relationship, right? It's a lot harder if you haven't done this and now you've got a 16-year-old, which he often has in his office, and the parents haven't been doing this, and all of a sudden they, they're having to put a roadblock, and they don't even their kids don't even like them anymore. You know, It's much easier for us to do it in relationship and teach why and instruct while we're doing it, which is why it's always better to start young. But I believe God honors it any time you do it. I just think that parents need to have complete permission to be as strict as you want to be on computer time and um, all that kind of stuff. You know, I think parents just don't understand 
that uh, you can say no, even though the whole, I mean, my son has fifth grade, he has friends, lots of friends that have iPhone with complete internet access on it in fifth grade. Do you know what they can see on that thing? And their parents don't even know it. Or maybe they do and they're just not thinking about it. I'm not sure. You have to protect them from that. That is your job. And, and, and don't worry about being too strict in this area. I say this to parents. You might feel like you're the only one. If God gives you a gut on this issue, stick with it. I had a friend who was a pastor's wife of a small church of about 200 when our son was about 10. She said, so what do you have on your computer for protection? And we had one computer. It was a local area in the house. I said, well, nothing. He's only 10. And she said, Olivia, she said, every family in our church that has a boy that's 11 years old, their parents have been in to talk to Scott about their child has been on the Internet looking at pornography for about six months or so. I went home, Kurt, quick, you know. What can we buy? You know, I just, I think it sneaks up on us as parents and we don't realize it. And then I had a mom say she bought iPhones for her daughters, not thinking pornography, daughters, you're not going to get into that. She said, now they have gotten in and seen the worst things I had no idea they would ever look at. And it's not like there can't be healing, but I just say, just be strict as you want in relationship. Smile, love them, and say no. Well, on this episode, we've primarily been talking about the problem. So next time, we're going to talk about three things that we can do in our homes to help nurture virtue rather than vice in our children, to help them move uphill rather than down. Meanwhile, thanks for all you're doing to be intentional with your kids, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Counterculture Parents is brought to you in part by DryFaithHome.com. We help churches reach and disciple busy families. If you appreciate this podcast, then I encourage you to support your local church, which is your most important reinforcing community.